if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, our scripture reading. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteousness, righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. While we've all felt it, we have all experienced it. It is the fear of going first. In seminary, I used to arrive late to classes because of the fear of being called on first to pray at the beginning of the class. You know this fear. I see it in Sunday school sometimes when a teacher asks a question in Sunday school 
And there is this long, crushing silence. Heads are down and eye contact is avoided at all costs. Teenagers at school, perhaps, when the teacher calls for a volunteer, you might stare at your notebook or your screen. You might hide behind the student in front of you. You might uh, try to become as small as possible. The fear of going first. Who will go first into the presence of the Almighty God? Who will go first into the presence of the triune God? Israel couldn't on earth. When all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning at Mount Sinai, heard the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they, they stood far off from God. Isaiah couldn't on earth. He said, woe is me for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. He needed to be cleansed. No man can endure his presence. The scripture says, God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And they have all fallen away. They become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Will they ever learn, the psalmist says. The common man couldn't go near to God. They couldn't go into God. They needed a mediator. They needed a priest to go in for them. The common man couldn't get close to him. And yet, look at how our text begins. It says in verse 22, let us draw near. Let us draw near. That is, let us draw near to God. How is this possible? Because the common man couldn't draw near to God. The whole Old Testament is about that. How is it possible that we can draw near? Let us, he says. It's possible because we don't go first. There is another. There is a man who went before us into heaven. He tells us in verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, that's boldness and courage, but since we have confidence to enter the holy places, that's the divine temple in the heavenlies. He's, he, he, he's picturing that temple in the throne room of God. We have confidence to enter the holy places. How? By the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Notice he says the blood of Jesus and the flesh of Jesus, his body given for us as the sacrifice. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, he is the sacrifice and he is the one who offers the sacrifice, offered himself. We have access to God, he's saying, and this is unprecedented. This is incredible. We have access to God. The way has been opened for us. Jesus went first. He is the way. Faith in his person, in his 
sacrifice in his blood that cleanses us from sin and his body given for us as we've repented and put our faith in him. He is the acceptable sacrifice. He is, he tells us, the new and living way. He is the narrow road. Now, the ancient Romans had an adopt-a-highway plan, just like we do. You drive around, you see those brown signs, adopt-a-highway, and some charitable group or some group has taken charge of, of that section of the highway. The Romans did that too. There's all sorts of plaques that survive uh, that uh, proclaim the, how great the person was, the benefactor who, who put the road down or who, who paid for its upkeep and care. Here's one, it said this, Trajan, who it, would eventually become emperor. Trajan, son of the deified Nerva, high priest, paved a new road. Jesus, he's saying, has both paved the way to heaven through himself, his body and blood, and he's there waiting for us. He's the priest. In the old way, people couldn't go in. In the new and living way, we are invited into the presence of God. We are encouraged, we're called in because we have been cleansed by his blood. This is a present reality. Not just a future reality, it's present now. Right now, brothers and sisters, when the people of God come together to worship him, we are in heavenly places right now, spiritually. We are in the throne room of God when his people come together in worship. And that's why he says in verse 22, let us draw near. Notice verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And then again in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love. He's not talking as individual Christians. He's talking about the corporate body. Let us together. He's talking about the congregation. And in these phrases, he also uses the familiar um, three-part. Uh, well, look at here in verse 22. He says, where we draw near, he mentions faith. In verse 23, where we hold fast the confession of our hope, he mentions hope, you see. Faith, hope. What's the third one going to be? Faith, hope, and love, eh? Charity. He says that in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love. You see, faith, hope, and love. Let us. He's talking about when we come together, we draw near in faith. And as a holy people cleansed, probably what he's referring to here is baptism. Um, many commentaries and theologians discuss this about the evil conscience and the bodies washed with pure water. And then let us hold fast the confession of our hope is holding fast that which is true. The word of God and our faith in Jesus has revealed who God is in the scriptures. And then the fellowship of the saints as we love one another, 
holiness and truth and fellowship, faith, love, faith, hope, and love, and draw near, hold fast, let us consider. And what he's describing here is a worship service, a worship service of Christians, that when we gather, let us, to magnify the Lord together, we're gathering not just bodily, but spiritually in the very heavenly temple. That's incredible access that we have that Jesus gave to us. It's part of our inheritance. And as a congregation who has access to God, as a people who can go into God, it's all because we, we, didn't go, we don't go first. He went first. And we follow him. He is the sacrifice and the priest. The church together. Let us, let us, let us. Lots of lettuce here, isn't there? <laughs> just turn your heads for a moment. Just look around at you and those who are sitting in your area. Turn your heads and your bodies. Get a view of the crop around you, the crop of God. It's a big garden this morning. We've been thinned out a little bit by the COVID years. But lettuce is a crop that just keeps growing. It grows anywhere. And uh, it'll sprout up anywhere. And he's talking about the congregational meetings of worship. And this is why he says in verse 25 here, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. You see, that's why he says this. He's saying, look, you don't be abandoning the worship service. It's not to be left behind. The word means to forsake. It's, a, it's no small thing. It's no small thing to skip church. Some of the Jewish Christians he's writing to, you see, had stopped going to worship. He stopped focusing on his word, stopped loving each other. In spite of the incredible privilege and access to God through Christ, they took it lightly. And we're turning from it. You know, churches are closing today at an incredible rate. Most every church has declined in numbers during the last two years. It's been hard <laughs> these last couple of years in churches, even our church. There are tensions and hurts and disagreements. And we've been busy as the people of God and as leaders, been busy working to love and to understand and, and to listen and, and sometimes take action. You know, right now it's hard to figure out who's gone for good, who's waiting to come back, and who are going elsewhere. But generally, churches are reporting 
25% of their congregations have left. And that would mean a great many, many are going nowhere. And they have no interest in going back to church. They see no value in meeting together. But meeting together and the privilege of it expresses our faith and our hope and our love. And it honors the Lord Jesus Christ and the access and privilege that he's given to us that we of all people can go into God. I once stood on the edge of a cliff in Israel, Mount Arabel. Some believe it's where Jesus gave his great commission in Matthew. And you can get right to the edge of this cliff and it's extremely dangerous. And there's no, there's no fence. There's no wall there. It's absolutely terrifying. And you're invited just to go up to the edge. And you, you go to this precipice and this chasm over. And, and you feel that it would just take a puff of wind to blow you over. And fall to your death. He takes us to the edge of this cliff now. To a very dangerous place. And he wants us to understand that, we, we tend, that we're standing on, on the very edge here. He says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and fear of fire that will consume the adversaries. What he's saying here is that not gathering as the people of God who have been washed clean by the blood of Christ, not, not coming to draw near to hold fast and to stir one another up to love and good works. Not, not coming to worship him together in faith, hope, and love. He's saying it's sinful. It's sinful. And it's deliberately sinful, he says. Deliberately. Being able to worship, but deliberately choosing not to go to church after having been given such access to heaven's throne room, to the very temple of God in the heavenlies, to turn your back on that is unthinkable, unthinkable. He'll go on and use words to help us to realize how unthinkable this is. In the following verses, he says, he says, 
It's spurning the Son of God. You're spurning him. And he says you're profaning his blood. The blood that's cleansed you and given you that access. You profane it. And he says you outrage the spirit of grace. Wow. And so the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity itself is being spurned by you. And all that they've done and given to you and the great privilege. We see some who, I call it, give themselves to basement churches. And usually that means... They can't get along with anyone in church, so they start their basement church to do it the right way because everyone else is doing it wrong. Um, and they tend to have a spirit of condemnation of the church and criticizing, pointing out all of their fa- its faults and disappointments and its mistakes, and they talk themselves out of church. And now we have couch church, and it's growing uh, I mean, I've heard it. You may know some. They're, they're saying it's just so convenient to stay home and sit on the couch and turn on church. That's not church. And they can sit there in their pajamas and have their coffee and breakfast, perhaps. They think they found the ultimate church hack. You know, they can just sort of fast forward the boring parts. And they're they're not holding fast the confession of their faith. They're not loving the body. And then there's some, there's no church. The world has consumed them in their minds and there's, they've walked away and they think of church as meh. Take it or leave it, I'll leave it. No value to it. These last days that we're in, place little value on our coming together to draw near to God and hold fast his truth and consider love and good works for some any excuse will do to avoid corporate worship any reason is enough to skip church but we stand on the edge of that cliff and just a puff of worldliness is all it takes to push us over and to plummet and to outrage the spirit of grace and to spurn the son of God. He'll tell us in verse 32 and following some of the struggles that his readers were facing and gives us some of the reason perhaps of why they were turning away from corporate worship. He says, but recall the former days. So this is how it used to be. Why aren't you doing this now? He says, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. So uh, you endured something here. He's saying a hard struggle. And he tells us sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach. So because they were Christians, 
and coming to church, they were getting, um, they were being shamed by their culture. It, they were being verbally taunted. They were, uh, their honor and their character um, were being subjected to ridicule. Uh, sort of like today, when you say, you know, you're a Christian and you come to church and we, we have, in, our, in, in the view of the people around us in this county, you have to understand you're seen as immoral. You're immoral. Just like they were seen as immoral because they worship one God. We're immoral because we're saying particularly the sexual ethic and how God made man and woman. We're holding fast to that reality and that truth and not giving in to the lies. And so we are considered immoral. You are considered to be immoral. Hmm. And they're associating with those who are shamed, sometimes being publicly exposed, he says, to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those who are treated. So it might not be you or they who are suffering this way, but they knew someone who was, and so they were maintaining their connections and their association. They weren't canceling them out of their life. They were joining with them still and worshiping with them still. And then there is a public affliction, he says in verse 33, and affliction leading to suffering. He counsels endurance there. And then he particularly mentions, verse 24, the plundering of their property. For you had compassion of those in prisons, and I just you joyfully, that, it seems like they were visiting other Christians who were in prison, not because of They were in prison because of their testimony of Jesus Christ. That's why they were in prison. And they were visiting them. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Wow, they, they had their stuff, their bank accounts taken. They had their Houses taken, they had their goods taken. And they weren't leading protests about that, but they were certainly feeling it. But they knew they had a better position. They, they joyfully accepted it. So these are reasons why they were starting to get tired of this and avoid the worship service of Christians so they wouldn't be shamed so they wouldn't have the disapproval of the world so they wouldn't lose their stuff think of the psalmist David he said these words the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
He said, one thing I have asked of the Lord, this I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He's saying, if, if, I, if I could live in worship, <laughs> if I could live there, I would, I would live there. If I could dwell in the house, it's like, like today we'd say, if I could just live at church, I'd be at church 24-7 in worship with, with God's people and fellowship and singing his praises and learning his word and his truth and, and enjoying the access, enjoying the heavenly throne room together. Going to church or being a Christian, not neglecting corporate worship, invited the hostility of the world. And that's very much happening, growing today. Nothing invites hostility quicker than holiness. Nothing invites hostility quicker than holiness. Nothing invites hostility quicker than our confession of faith that says Christ is the only Savior. Nothing invites hostility quicker among many than declaring this gospel that there is one Savior, there's one way. They would say, shame on us. No. No. But there are Christians who want the approval of the world who want the approval of sinners, who want the approval of, the, of haters of God. They want the approval of those who hate God and who will choose the company of sin, the congregation of sinners, over the congregation of believers in worship. We boldly enter into the heavenly throne room. He went first. By his blood and by his flesh, faith in him that cleanses us of every sin, we follow into the heavenly throne and we boldly continue to live as Christ and to endure and to witness and to congregate in worship, let us draw near. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us consider how to stir each other up to love and good works. You know, it might not be long. It might not be long before we visit each other in jail for our witness of the loving Savior. And it might not be long before we lose property and pensions and joyfully, joyfully accept that, knowing that we have a better possession. And it's all because of our unwavering love for Jesus Christ. And we'll need each other then as we need each other now you know, when we suffer, Peter said to us, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior, 
in Christ may, may be put to shame. They're the ones who are ashamed when they revile our good behavior. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that be God's will, than doing evil. We want to suffer for the right reasons, don't we? There's wars, famines, plagues, death. Who shall separate us from his love? Nothing, no one. And brothers and sisters, don't neglect the meeting together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, as we see the day of Christ drawing near, all the more we should be all the more enjoying God's presence, being built up together to endure whatever comes. He went first. <laughs> Look at verse 37. He says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And he says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and preserve their souls. In other words, we're not going to stop congregating, ministering, loving, believing. You know, there's good reasons not to come to church when you're sick, don't come. <laughs> when you're shut in, there's seniors who just can't, who love, who love to be here, but can't be here. Lord bless them. Those are two great reasons not to come to church. I'm not sure I can think of a lot of other great reasons. Maybe you can. I can't. Those are good reasons. Take care. You know, on Sunday morning, there is a sense of anticipation. Probably, hopefully, it begins the night before for you as you think about going to worship, as you make preparations for your offering or your clothes and your spirit. And you wake up and you prepare, you get the family up, perhaps you're going to church. And many of your neighbors are probably not going anywhere. They're going to sleep in most likely. They'll wash their cars, perhaps. They'll go fishing or golfing. But not you. You're going to worship. And you won't be alone. You get in the car, you drive, you pull into the lot. You want to be here. Because there's nowhere else you'd rather be. As a congregation. And go in to the heavenly throne room. You greet people, some are close to you, some are familiar, some are new, some you're scared to say their name because they may have been here for a while. <laughs> all sorts of people. All sorts of people around you in here that you would never know, you would never connect with except for Jesus Christ. You shake hands perhaps, maybe not right now, you go to Sunday school, you come out, 
Sunday schools starts getting crowded. Mature believers, growing believers, new believers, unbelievers, wanting to know more, looking for answers and knowledge, sensing that God is calling them and working in their life. But we're all here for the same reason, to worship God and to draw near to Him, to exercise what only the people of God can exercise, to to exercise a great privilege and the command to come boldly with a heart of worship, with the word of worship and in, and in fellowship together. You know, kids, kids make their last trip to the bathroom. Babies are kissed goodbye and given by moms and dads into the hands of those who are going to care for them during the service. And then, and then, the first word is heard or the first note is played or the first song is sung and we rise together to do that which has been done throughout the millennia to worship God to gather in his heavenly throne room in spirit and in truth Worshiping the true God and the ever-living God. Would you pray with me? Father, what a privilege. What a privilege. All because of your son who gave his life, his blood and his body for the forgiveness of our sins. We have repented. We have put our faith in him. And we then have this wonderful access. And we draw near. We pray that we would not take worship service lightly. But that it would settle on us with gravity and seriousness. And that we would not sin and spurn such a great, a great calling. That we would not outrage the spirit by placing little value on what you value so much and what you've given to us. In these days, Lord, as we come together, we are preparing for whatever comes ahead as well. We need each other. We need your, your word. We need to grow in faith and wisdom and to be ministered to by each other. So Father, find us faithful. We know you are faithful, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.